Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is, unlike the email that went out, some of you may get the email, uh, the topic has shifted a little bit overnight. It is now Joseph Part 1, Jacob and Rachel. That's what we're talking about tonight. Um, I want to have a series about Joseph, and there's something I'm particularly going for that might take a few weeks to get there. Plus, more bad news is that uh, in addition to having canceled last week, I have to cancel this coming week because I'll sadly be on vacation. I apologize to you. I'm very bitterly disappointed myself and uh, and disappointed in myself. But... uh, uh, Oh, good, good, good. That's good. So, um, <laughs> good, good. That, that's, that'll, be, that'll be a happy time. Uh, so I'll set this up a little more after we pray, but um, Joseph is a fascinating figure, and it goes on for chapters and chapters and chapters in Genesis, and as much space as that takes up, when Swedenborg goes to describe it, he gives even more... Um, if, actually, what we're covering in the next few weeks is like four volumes of... 700 pages, you know, it's like 3,000 pages of text or something. So uh, he has a lot of explanation about this material. I don't hope to do justice to all that, but I do think there's a lot to think about. And I'm thinking about this specifically at this time because of leading gradually into Easter, like six weeks out or whatever. And and actually, uh, the Joseph story has more to do with Easter than it appears on the on the surface, as is true of everything in Scripture. Let me read you a description. We haven't done that for a while. Here's who we are. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens. The name comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit meaning that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, What he says of his words applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. So, uh, shall we open with a prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the Word made flesh. You bowed the heavens and came down into this world. We thank you for bringing us together, Lord, in your name. We pray for understanding, for light, even perhaps to feel the warmth of your love. Amen. Thank you, everybody, and sending special greetings out there to people who are watching online and getting the audio recording, which seems to be on by some blessing. And uh, (laughs) so it's a pleasure to be with you and uh, sending greetings in the name of the Lord. Uh, We will be handling this a little differently than some of these other Bible studies. If you've experienced our Bible study before, we'll actually be holding still. Like we'll be just reading certain chapters in the same place. Like we never do that. So uh, let's go back and start with Genesis chapter 28. We'll still be skipping around a little bit. I mean, I have to keep up the union dues and everything. but um, uh, But we're mainly just following this story and... In starting with the Joseph story, I thought we should really start where it begins with his parents, who are Jacob and Rachel. And um, 
And so we want to read, they, they, they have an interesting kind of love story and where Joseph comes from. He's one of 12 children and uh, yet only one of them is his full blood brother. And uh, so that's an interesting situation we'll be looking at a little bit tonight. Let's start in 28 verse 1 here in Genesis. 28 verse 1. <clears throat> then Isaac called Jacob and blessed Isaac him. Isaac was Jacob's father. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Isaac was Jacob's father, and he called him and blessed him. And charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Uh-huh. So Isaac had come into Canaan, but he didn't want his son. Do parents ever feel this way? It didn't want his <laughs> son to marry one of the locals, one of the son to go back and marry someone from the extended family back home. You, okay, arise, go to Paden Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, uh-huh. and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Okay, so this, this was more fashionable then than it is now uh, to <laughs> marry, you know, quite directly within the family. And so he was directed to go back there uh, to his uncle's place and, and take a wife from among uh, his uncle's daughters, his cousin. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Yes, so interesting that even here at the outset, there's a a sense that uh, Jacob's people will someday come back, and, and the prayer is that there'll be a multitude, they'll come back into the land, where he's a stranger now. Go ahead. So, One Isaac, more verse. so Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paden Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Yes. Okay. Very clear genealogy there. And um, so, uh, part of what we're looking for in this story, and it's uh, without Swedenborg's help, I don't know how we could ever see it, but we're looking for what we've seen in Luke 24, which is that idea that all of the Old Testament is inwardly about Jesus. Um, And so it's interesting to contemplate how this just sounds like a history. Don't know why it's important, but for some reason, Isaac wanted Jacob to, to marry, you know, within the clan back home and not take a Canaanite wife. Uh, so let's look in chapter 29. We'll read it more length in here. Mm-hmm. Starting at the beginning? Yes. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. Flocks of what? Sheep. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, we had a Bible study not long ago about sheep and about gathering sheep and so on. Sheep figure in this story. Go on. For out of that well, they watered the flocks. Mm. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Yes. Go ahead. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. I I like this image um, for a couple of reasons. One, just in a concrete way, it's kind of fascinating to think about nowadays we have a lot of different sophisticated ways of locking things or having our own property or so on. If you're living out in tents, how do you 
how do you lock anything? You know, if you've got something precious like a water supply out in the wilderness, how do you lock it? Mm -hmm. You lock it by having such a huge stone on it that the only way you can get to the water is a whole bunch of other people get to the water too. You know, and that way it keeps you all honest where, uh, and if somebody strayed by and wants to get at your water supply, they can't because you have to have a whole crowd to get this thing off. And it's interesting to me too, as a spiritual image, which is that that well means the Bible. It means the word. It's, it's what waters the sheep. And the way that you get meaning out of the word is collectively. It's a very interesting idea. That, and there's something about the word that at first glance is stone-like. You know, uh, if you didn't know, you know, you just think it was a big stone. You don't realize there's water underneath there. So it's a picture of the depths within the word that there's something protective on the outside. But if a whole bunch of people can get together and come to an understanding and move that outside out of the way, you can get to something that waters the sheep. And the sheep are people who are living good lives and blessing others. And, and this is what the word does when it's uh, rightly divided and so on. So that's a beautiful image there. Go on. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? Okay, so he's talking to the people who were there, because there's a whole bunch of people there rolling the stone away from the well's mouth. What, wasn't there some other biblical story where there was like rolling a stone that was... Forget how that went, but there was something significant. I forget what it was. Interesting. Go on. And they said, we are from Haran. Uh-huh. Then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. So he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. Uh-huh. And? And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Aha, uh -huh. here comes Rachel with the sheep. Now, Rachel is who Jacob is going to end up with, as you may know, good friends. And uh, go ahead. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. You see? And, and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Yeah, you see, you have to all do it at the same time. Then we water the sheep. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Oh, interesting. I didn't know they, they did that, but she was like a female shepherd. She was the one keeping the sheep. It was, you know, not her dad or whatever. You know, she was the one keeping the sheep. Interesting, okay? And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth. There's nothing more attractive than a woman with good sheep. <laughs> Haven't you found? <laughs> Friends, uh, go on. And watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Mm. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. And well, that was a little forward, I feel, on a first, uh, <laughs> wow, you know, just like, okay, we're there. We've got what we need. Uh, his father had told him, Marry one of the daughters of, you know, and so there she is, and she's keeping the sheep and everything, and that's it. And what else? Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Wow, he wept. Now, it's, it's a, uh, there's a lot of emotion in the Joseph story that's very interesting, and it doesn't say anything about it, 
But doesn't it kind of imply that there was this longing there that he had, you know, that this was a fulfillment of a longing? It's not like he sort of had the thought yesterday of like, oh, it might be nice to be with somebody or something, you know. Uh, he's been longing for this. It's been a long journey. And it's like, ah, this is it, you know. Mm. So he lifts up his voice and he weeps. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebecca's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told yes. Laban all these things. Yes, and I remember another story about the prodigal son who comes home and he gets embraced and kissed mm -hmm. and then runs out to meet. You know, it's a sim uh, one thing I love about the stories of Scripture is how much they all seem to layer on each other. And the more you read, the more you see of these layers of the rolling of that stone and the meaning of sheep and, and what the water is and the well and so on. Um, go on. And Laban said to him, Surely you are, bo you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Uh -huh. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. So the plot thickens. The, the Rachel is one of two, and she's the younger. Now, we haven't seen it here in this story, but if you read back a little bit, you will see that Jacob was one of two brothers, and he was the younger. It's interesting that, that the younger of two gets together with the younger of two. Uh, uh, just interesting little detail. Go on. Tell me about them. Leah's eyes were delicate or weak or what does yours say? Mine says tender-eyed, but then tender. it has a gloss that says delicate or soft. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the general idea has been that she, does, she can't see very well. You know. Okay. Um, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Mm. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Wow, that's a big, um, yeah, that, that's a very generous offer. Uh, <laughs> you know, th that's what he's willing to give to be in that relationship. Mm. And so what does Laban and say? Laban said, it is better that I give her to you. It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Yes. Stay with me. Yes, in the old King James, it's abide with me. And again, you can't read abide with me without all these echoes of, you know, stay with me. And yeah, go on. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Mm. They are not married yet at this point. He's, he's just working seven years to earn the privilege of marrying her. But it just goes like a shot because he feels this love. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. Okay, <clears throat> now... Have any of you good friends ever been in a sort of a bait-and-switch situation? Um, 
you know, where you thought you were going for something really good and then you got something not as good, you know. Uh, I think there's something so true to life about this story uh, where you're working and working for something you love very, very much. You've spent seven years working on this and then you get it and it's not what you thought, you know. Can you relate? You know, sometimes in life, in our spiritual life, that's what happens. And what this is talking about, there's so much lying underneath this story uh, when it's talking about the Lord. But basically, what it's talking about is that amazing kind of, uh, I don't know what to describe it as, an alchemy or something, whereby uh, the infinite, I don't know if you saw the Bible study where we were talking about Jesus being infinite on the inside and finite on the outside, and how you get those two to talk to each other. I mean, when you really think about what infinite is and how you get that to talk to the finite. And what Swedenborg says that is so mind-boggling to me is that all these stories in Scripture, uh, some of you are very familiar with this concept, some of this may be brand new to you and you don't have to believe it, but uh, that all these stories are at, in hidden ways, they're about this relationship uh, between the divine and the human in Jesus and how that deal was sort of brokered between the two. And this moment where uh, Jacob uh, falls in love with Rachel and then gets Leah is a developmental stage in which you're going for something deep and you get something shallow, something weak-eyed or not, not very impressive, uh, something more external. Uh, hopefully we'll say some more about that in a bit. Let's go. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Mm. Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Yes. Why then have you deceived me? Yeah. Mm. And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. You might have mentioned that. <laughs> seven years Before ago. I put in the, the seven years effort. Yes. <laughs> hmm. Awkward conversation. Okay. So Laban says, fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Now, I, as I understand the story, what's going on here is that he has Leah and then he will now be able to uh, marry Rachel already now, but he will have to work. So the first one was in advance. This one, he, he'll be able to, so he doesn't have to wait another seven years to marry Rachel. He gets to mar marry her a week later, but uh, he'll be paying for that for another seven years, I think is what it means. I may be wrong. Go on. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. And this becomes very significant. You remember when he gave uh, Leah Zilpah to be uh, a handmaid, and here's uh, Bilhah for Rachel. So you have two daughters, and then you have these two hand, uh, handmaids, or whatever you want to call them. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, mm. and he served with Laban still another seven years. So you see what I mean, that the marriage took place, and then he worked another seven years after that. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, and this is an awkward sort of 
situation, isn't it, where he loves Rachel more? You, you can't be too surprised about that. that. That's who he fell in love with in the first place. She was the one with the sheep and everything. We didn't even know about Leah yet. And, and uh, now he's married to both, but his, but his real passion is for Rachel. Okay, go on. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, oh. he, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Oh, now this is weird. So Leah starts, so nobody's had kids yet, but you have these two, two wives and these two handmaidens. And, uh, and Leah starts having children, but Rachel's barren, okay? So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And isn't it interesting that the first one that he looked on my affliction and the second one he heard ah. that I was unloved. And we'll talk a little bit about their meaning. Uh, go on. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Okay. So Leah, let's see if we can write this down here. So uh, Leah has Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. And Swedenborg talks a lot about the meaning of these. I, I want to tell you about this book that I've just found out about called 12 Qualities of a Spiritual Mind, which goes into these 12 sons at great length and what they mean and all kinds of imagery and how they're associated with the 12 apostles, 12 signs of the zodiac, all, all kinds of things. Uh, that's by Harry Barnett's and Don Barnett's Potts. 12 Qualities of a Spiritual Mind. Um, that will tell you a lot more than I can tell you tonight about all these sons. It just was by coincidence, you know, uh, that that showed up on my desk tonight mm -hmm. when we're talking about these sons. And what Swedenborg says about the meaning of these is that these first, what it's all about is about how the outside and the inside get together. And part of why, there's several reasons why this is important. It, seems, it can seem very arcane and so on. But uh, one reason it's important, that's really a secondary reason, is that uh, it is the process that we go through. We go, this is describing something about our process. That's why it's important. That's why it's in Scripture. That's why it behooves us to know something about it uh, because it describes something that we go through. But primarily, more importantly, it's a process that the Lord went through uh, when he was in this world and how he made that part that was just the son of Mary, how he turned that into God all by himself, uh, that process is described in here. And that may not be important to many people on this earth, but it is incredibly important to angels. Angels love that stuff. It's a very well-kept secret that the scriptures exist in the spiritual world and that angels read them. And when they read these stories, they don't read about Reuben. They, they see instead a word that means truth. 
The truth comes first. Leah is something on the outside. It, she, she's a relatively external love of truth. And the first thing that she gives birth to, and Jacob means the outside level of ourselves. Abraham's the inside. Isaac is sort of the middle. Jacob is the outside. And Leah gives birth to truth. That's the first, first thing that she gives birth to. Then Simeon means a practice, I've heard. You get truth, then you get practice. So these are these steps of how you go from truth to love. The short story is you go from truth, then you have to practice it, and then you develop charity, which is Levi. Levi's the priesthood, and that has to do with loving others and so on. And that leads, charity is sort of a, a spiritual kind of love that comes out of just a sense of duty and doing well for the neighbor, but it's but it's doing, but there is a, a love that's associated with it. And Judah is genuinely uh, heavenly love. It's you know, so this is how you march from just sort of knowing things to really having them sown in you. <clears throat> and these are the first four. So that takes you through that whole ascent. Now, so that's, that's just one shot where you, okay, here are going to be the four steps that you go through. But then when you've gone from truth to love, then it all needs to be woven in together, like the inside and the outside have to be brought together. This happens in us, and it happens in the Lord. I don't know if you've been aware, good friends, of anything like this in yourself, but I'm aware in myself of uh, what I'd almost describe as what people would describe in sort of common parlance as a kind of schizophrenic thing, or, or like where you're too... You're two just different things that don't even make sense with each other, you know, so you have grand visions and dreams and so on, and then you're just awful sometimes or, or whatever, you know what I mean? And uh, trying to get what the Lord wants to do is not just have grand dreams and visions in your head, but also deal with the awfulness. And this is a story of how the awfulness gets dealt with. First of all, you learn some truth from the Word, open the well, you know, feed the sheep kind of thing. Then comes practice, so you've got to live by that. That develops a sort of warm-heartedness toward the, the neighbor that eventually turns into this heavenly kind of love, the, the way the angels have. So when the angels read this stuff, they're just beside themselves. Yeah, after Reuben came Simeon, you know. And, <laughs> and, they, and we just go, oh, okay, you know. And we don't know why, why we have to read this. Um, so, all right, let's go on. The plot thickens. Okay. Okay. Chapter 30, we'll okay. just blast right through. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. I see. Okay. Uh, as if it's Jacob's fault somehow. But <laughs> yeah, give me children or I'm going to die. So Leah is this relatively external part. All right, she brought forth this thing. But Rachel is still is this potential that's inside there and hasn't uh, gone to the next level yet. Okay, and so Jacob was just very touched by what she said. No, Jacob's anger was aroused oh. against Rachel. Okay, he got mad at her. I've, I've never heard about that in marriage, but go on. <laughs> and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Mm. So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Oh. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Oh, it's so awesome. I can't even put into words... What, but, but this is, okay, so go on. 
Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Dan. Okay. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Naphtali. That's right. Who means wrestling. Mm. So, you see, this is... This is uh, so, this is uh, Rachel's handmaid, right? Judge. So this was Leah. Now we've got Rachel's handmaid. So Rachel still can't connect directly. It's... And, uh, you would think it's an overly complex thing unless you thought it was really talking about how the Lord became God, you know, went from just being human to being divine, or equally astounding or not just amazing to think how we sad and sorry creatures turn into angels. You know, that's what we're talking about, and it takes some doing. Uh, Dan... Uh, is an affirmative attitude. Hmm. Now, what these are, the, these next people that we're going to get are, so, okay, you got steps, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, but then you need to weave them together. You know, it's not enough to just sort of hop, 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 hop. Then you've got to weave it together. It's never enough Okay, congratulations, you got to level four in the video game. You got to Judah. But that's not enough. You need to go back and you need to get Reuben and Simeon and Levi. You need to get it all on board to get it. It's all got to be lifted up. So the first is just an ascent. The second is this bringing together of different things. And what Naphtali means, as we talked about, it's victory um, through temptation and against resistance. With my sister, I've been wrestling and wrestling. You know, so Naphtali is, the, is the, the result of this wrestling. It's victory through temptations. Now, you saw already with Jacob that he was crying and weeping and so forth. Uh, there's drama in this, and there's drama in the story of these sisters who don't get along, and Rachel's mad at Jacob, and Jacob's angry because, you know, what, what you think I'm God? I can just sort of produce children or something, and... and uh, uh, and these are the steps that happen as a result. So Dan is an affirmative attitude, and Naphtali is victory over temptation and resistance. So we're, we're, we're getting there. It's getting, it's getting better and better. Okay? Now, competition rises up. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and Yes, gave... so Leah stopped, right? We read that in there. She's like, okay. So what did she do? She took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. Gad, a troop. And I, I think it's almost kind of amusing because you're really starting to get a large family. up. You know, a troop comes. It's like we're, we're getting quite a crowd in here, right? <laughs> and go on. And, Leah, and Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Asher, that's right. Meaning happy. So Gad 
means a troop, an abundant doing of good and truth. It's, it's just a whole lot of doing and doing, doing. There's, there's abundant doing. So you see, uh, the affirmative attitude and this wrestling is inward, isn't it? Uh, it's Bilha, it's, it's Rachel's handmaid. Whereas Zilpah, who's from the outside, which is Leah, you see what I mean? Then it's abundant doing. That comes on the outside. So they're, they're trying to get together, trying to get together. There are all these stages. And Asher means blessedness, happiness, delight. You know, it takes you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight before you're happy. Like it's, it doesn't happen right out of the starting gate, you know, when we get onto this process. The, the happiness is down a ways. And when it comes, it comes from this connection with the outside through these intermediaries, you know, it, it's just more detail than we can possibly go into or than I could possibly fathom. Uh, okay, good. Let's read on. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And these are supposed to be uh, an aphrodisiac or something like that. Go on. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, what's going on here? Rachel and Leah. Again, this is back and forth and back and forth. So Rachel's asking Leah for the mandrakes that Reuben got. Reuben is the truth. All right. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrake. So if I'm understanding that deal right, I think Rachel is saying, I want your mandrakes because that will help Jacob and me have a child. But in exchange for that, Jacob can sleep with you. You know, Uh now she had stopped bearing. Leah had stopped bearing for a while. Okay, so go on. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. Now, does Jacob feel a little jerked around this? He's got two fighting wives, two handmaids, all these kids. And, and uh, no, I bought you. You know, you what? I mean, what? Don't I get a say in this? Yeah. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob a Look fifth Look at this. Son. Now Leah's back. Okay. Still no Rachel. Leah Still said, no Rachel. Oh, sorry. Yes. God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Aha. Uh-huh. Interesting. Wages. So she, she feels this is related to the fact that because she gave Zilpah, uh, she's being blessed now and she's bearing again. Okay. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Leah's sixth. That's right. It's actually number 10 in the overall, right? And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Zebulun, okay. Dwelling. Dwelling. Zebulun. And uh, both of these, interestingly, have to do with... uh, the way Swedenborg describes them, Issachar means marriage love and mutual love, and Zebulun means the heavenly marriage. So they, they both have to do with good and truth coming together. In other words, all of this has been trying to get, trying to get, get the two together, 
not enough just to go from one to the other. You got to sew them together, interweave them, you know? And so Issachar has to do with uh, marriage love and mutual love. And the way Swedenborg describes all this, he goes into three layers of each person, what they mean, and it's just wild. And actually, um, Issachar means marriage love on the inside and mutual love on the outside, whereas Zebulun means uh, marriage love on the outside and the heavenly marriage on the inside or something. Anyway, uh, but they both have to do with, with marriage, with things coming together, and you can see that right in the literal meaning, can't you? Because Lee is saying, now my husband will dwell with me. You know, now we're really getting together uh, because we've gotten down to this point. Okay. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. I see. Okay. And so we have, and Leah had Dinah. Okay. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph. Okay, so this is Rachel. Now, I wanted to go through all this because do you see that Joseph is a big deal? Mm. Joseph didn't happen <coughs> quickly. It took a lot of state, even though... It's fascinating, isn't it, that, that when Jacob, first time he ever saw Rachel, he loved her. And yet how long it took to, this, to get to this point for something to come of that, you know? He had to work seven years, then he got Leah, then he got Rachel, worked another seven years, and all these kids are born, and she can't have children, so she gives the handmaid, she gives the handmaid, everything goes through this complicated thing, and finally Rachel has a child, and that child is Joseph, and Joseph means spirituality and salvation and means heavenly love, which is very similar to what Judah means. But this, is, this has had all this interweaving uh, that, that supports it. And therefore, it means spirituality and salvation. Now, it's interesting to think of going through all this and not being at the point of salvation yet. You know, like you've got, you're doing a lot of good things, you're experiencing delight and and you're feeling mutual love and, and all that, and yet you're still not at, you know, Joseph is salvation. That's when you really, okay, now we're there. Now we're there. Now we've got Joseph. So uh, in stories that we'll be dealing with in ensuing weeks, uh, uh, not next week, as I mentioned, but the week after that, uh, and it probably will take us a couple of times to get through this, uh, Joseph's relationship to his brother's, it changes radically, uh, and it's, so it's important to know where he fits into the family and the fact that Joseph's mother, he was the firstborn son, even though he was number 11. How can you be the 11th and the first? Uh, he's the 11th son, and yet he's the first one from Jacob's true love, Rachel, who means this inner love of truth. Oh, and that leads to this salvation. Okay, uh, what should we... Um, okay, I think we've got that. Okay, let's flip over to chapter 33, actually. There's all kinds of stuff in here, and I'd love to read it all. Uh, but uh, Jacob got separated from his brother Esau. Maybe there was some history that went down. Maybe there was some 
stealing of a birthright, some other stuff that happened, and deceit, and so on. And uh, so Jacob was very worried about re-encountering his brother Esau. Uh, and, I, and it's a fantastic story we don't have time to go into about how they get, finally get back together again. But let's just read the first two verses of chapter 33. Because have we had Benjamin We yet? haven't had Benjamin yet. <laughs> Not until chapter 35. He doesn't even exist yet. Uh, but we will get to Benjamin in chapter 35, and I'll tell you approximately what he means. Uh, so look at this sort of picture of the family here, this sort of little psychodrama. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. This is absolutely terrifying to Jacob. <laughs> Esau with 400 was like, I am so dead. You know, this is the moment I've been dreading my whole life. Uh, he's going to take me out. So what does he do? So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay, so he divides the kids up. Okay. You, you, here, here, divides them all up. And how does he stack them? And he put the maidservants and their children in front. Oh. Leah. So Bilhah and Zilpah went first with their children. Leah and her children behind. Then Leah and her six. And who was at the back? And Rachel and Joseph last. That's a picture of his heart, right? That's a picture of who, like, if he's coming with 400 men... Go ahead and take these guys. You know, I'm not too worried about them. But I don't want anything to happen to Joseph. He's, we wait a long time for the Joseph is the most precious, most precious one to me. Okay, interesting little vignette there. And now turn to chapter 35 and we will see the final. And look at that. Like Joseph is born in chapter 30 and then... Four more chapters go by before you get Benjamin. Long, long, and all this drama is going on, all this drama and everything. And then finally, we get this very poignant moment in 35. It's picking up at verse 16. And they're journeying, and all this drama is happening and everything. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. Ephrath, okay. Ephrath may or may not mean anything to you, but hold that in your mind. Ephrath, they were just a little distance to Ephrath. Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Uh-oh. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. Interesting. Yeah, so she may be afraid that she's going to lose the child or, or whatever, and the midwife is assuring you, No, you are going to have this son. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died... You know, it's in such an odd way, you know, like the editor in me is just sort of like, can you tell the story a little better than that? You know, <laughs> uh, by the way, she died, you know, like in parentheses. You know? mm. uh, <laughs> what is that? Um, right. Her soul is departing for she's dying. The labor was so hard. That she called his name Benoni. Benoni means son of my sorrow. But his father. So she's, she's, she's dying on this journey, and, uh, and she calls his name Benoni, son of my sorrow, but... But his father called him Benjamin. Okay, so here's the eventual Benjamin. Son now, of my right hand. family systems theory says that if the mother dies in the process of giving birth to you, you will be kind of a focal point of the family. You know what I mean? 
like uh, Benjamin was a big deal. Joseph was a big deal. Benjamin was a big deal. Like he's not even going to know his mother. There's Joseph, and then their years go by, and then they're traveling and traveling, and his father calls his name Benjamin. Okay, and look at this. Uh, I lost my place. Verse uh, 19. Verse 19. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem. Anybody heard of it? <laughs> Turns out Ephrath is Bethlehem. Huh. Bethlehem. So are we talking about the Lord's life? Does this have something to do with the Lord's life? What does it have to do with the Lord's life? Isn't that interesting that they're wandering along and the story sneaks up on you because it just says Ephrath. You know, they, they got to Ephrath and, and then it said, oh, by the way, Bethlehem. You know, now when we read that, like that line about Bethlehem, it just thunders uh, because that's where Jesus was born. So what is it that Rachel dies in the place where Jesus is born? And one more verse there. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Mm. And then they had to just keep going, they keep going, they keep going. More drama happens and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And we'll get to some more of that drama uh, in ensuing weeks. So one thing I wanted this evening to do was by looking at these 12 sons. And by the way, what Benjamin uh, means... He is, um, he's a point of contact. You see, when you're trying to bring the infinite and the finite together, you've been building, building. It's sort of like, it would be like, I don't know, where they, they make a tunnel through the mountain or something like that, and you're coming in from both ends, and you're trying, trying. All these sons are like, mm, trying to get closer, trying to get closer, trying to get closer. Benjamin is finally where that, that tunnel and hopefully you're not off by six feet uh, where, you, where you connect in the middle after all that work. That, that's the point of contact. And so when the divine and the human are coming together, Benjamin is that point right between there. Uh, he's the point, he's called in, in the strange sort of Swedenborgianese, the spiritual of the celestial, uh, and Joseph is called the celestial of the spiritual. And what that means is that they are the two that are on either side of this gap between uh, the heavenly and the earthly and also the earthly that's transformed into the spiritual. So Benjamin is this point of contact and it's a really big, you know, it's really hard to get there. And so Benjamin is incredibly valuable. And when Joseph has lost his mother, uh, we'll see in later stories how important Benjamin is to him. He has to get together with Benjamin and it takes many, many chapters for Joseph to get together with Benjamin because they form this side. It's like this parlez-vous going on between the divine and the human and then the human that's ready for this reception and the divine comes down and they're, they're in this parlez-vous and they get together at that point of uh, Benjamin. And the land of Benjamin is right there on the cusp. You know, the Holy Land was divided into the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, at least at a certain point in their history. And Benjamin is the southernmost part of the Northern, you know, he's the closest thing to the South in the North. You know what I mean? It would be like the, 
the Canadian border, so, you know, the part of the U.S. that's the farthest north and the part of Canada that's the farthest south. You know, that's that point of meeting. And so Bethlehem, the reason Jesus is born there is that he's born right on that point between truth and love, truth to the north, love to the south, and he's born right there and that evenness between the two. That's where Rachel dies. That's where he's born. And Benjamin is that point of contact between these, between these two. Um, so you can see how precious Joseph was to his father, even though he had loads of other sons, a troop cometh and everything. But, but he's, uh, Joseph was very valuable. And Benjamin was extremely valuable because he was born at the point where Rachel, after that long, long journey, then she finally has a son, then wandering, wandering on, then having this hard labor, and then poof, that's, that's it. Uh, it's kind of tragic in a way, but this great love. And um, so uh, the nature of the word, as I say, is that everything in here is about the Lord, and it's all telling us something about the... Uh, about the Easter story, in other words, that moment at which uh, Jesus became fully divine and was taken up out of the tomb, and it's this parley-vous, and can you even see in a way that when uh, Rachel dies, like, like his human part dies altogether, you know, the poof, you know, then, then you're, okay, now we're there, you know, now Benjamin's born, now that that human part is gone. So it has this very profound meaning, and you can see these little hints of it. And all through the prophets, Benjamin gets mentioned a lot. He comes up a lot. The name Joseph and Benjamin come up a lot. Some of these other people don't get that much mentioned, but, but Joseph and Benjamin are mentioned a lot because they're a very big deal. And um, uh, what I'm dying to read, it'll take us a few weeks to get there, but Joseph is taken away from the rest of the brothers, and then he comes back larger than life, and they don't even recognize him. And uh, it's going to be fun to look at that story because when you're talking about Joseph is very clearly the Lord. Like all of this is, is things in the Lord, but Joseph is the most, most Lord-like of them. In fact, we'll see later that he's even called the Lord of Egypt. He becomes second in command and has tremendous power in Egypt. And we'll be taking a look in subsequent weeks about what that means. I don't know if I've done justice to this. Uh, part of the, my constant awareness in Bible study is that you can never do, you know, I, I said once years ago, I don't know how many of you were here then, but I said that I really want to have Bible study for like, let's just commit to the first million years together uh, to kind of rough the thing out a little bit. And then we can really sort of get into it for the next 10 million after that. Um, because trying to understand the whole sweep of the story, even tonight, it's frustrating. We can't read all those chapters in between. It's, all that stuff is, is part of it. You know, it's part of the drama and all the pushing and shoving that's going on. And it's also fraught with meaning. And I'm kind of amazed that, like, there's this idea in Christianity that things, some things in the Old Testament are types. I don't think people would be surprised by the idea that, that Joseph was a type of Jesus or that Moses is a type of Jesus, you know, that kind of thing. But there's no awareness that I'm, that I'm aware of that, of what Dan means as opposed to Naphtali or why they come in this order or why almost every single time these 12 are mentioned, they're given in a different order. 
And actually, there's, there turns out, because Joseph has two kids, there's actually 14 of them. And sometimes Levi doesn't count. And so they're the 12 sons, but then it'll list them, and Ephraim will get in there, or Manasseh, or not Joseph. You know, it, it's, the math is crazy. And when they divide up these 12 sons who split up, they become the 10 in the north and the one in the south. Well, wait a minute, we lost one in there. You know, how did we get to 11? Uh, it's, it's biblical math. It's, it's a little different than the reality that we normally live in. Every single thing in here has to do with the Lord and the angels. As I say, this is why it's fun to try to get a glimpse of what the angels love about this because they're just thrilled. It's amazing to think that the Lord laid his whole story out here of this drama, you know, of what's going on. Why is Jacob mad at, you know, his, his wife and all this back and forth, the wrestling of the sisters. And it all has to things, do with things that go on within the Lord and within one individual. Uh, and yet it's played out in this way that we can readily understand. But haven't we all seen sort of jealousies or, you know, the, the envy that's in there and the, uh, the bargaining? And so we understand that. Uh, then to be able to jump from there to thinking about things in the Lord and how he went from being human on the outside to having that divine come down where you start to get some truth. He learns the truth when he's young. Then he practiced that in his life. He develops this charity, and then he develops heavenly love. But that's only the beginning. Then you've got to get to work, you know, with the affirmative attitude and the wrestling going through temptation. You get the, the abundance of good and truth. You get that delight. Uh, the good and truth come together and get married and, and it even becomes a heavenly marriage. And then finally Joseph is born and he is salvation itself. But then you still need another piece to bring it all together. And Benjamin is that, that piece that, that holds it all together. It, Benjamin is where spiritual truth and heavenly love meet and where they, where they, where they have that connection. And you have to have the connection. When you see in the story later... Uh, Joseph cannot see his father unless he sees Benjamin. He can't really connect with the rest of his brothers unless Benjamin is there because Benjamin is the part that holds it all together. And so uh, for the first million years, if you're, if you're on board, friends, uh, you know, let's, let's get just a de decent understanding of Scripture, get the basic outline of these stories together. Uh, Bible study will last much longer then. It'll be sort of three-day sessions where we all eat together and, you know, talk about this day and night and get into a story and then, you know, once a month like that or something for forever. Uh, that would be tremendous fun. There's enough in there to keep us entertained for a long, long time. A long, long time. So uh, that's just the beginning. I'm deliberately just setting the stage for the drama that's coming up later where, you know, Joseph gets sold into, in, into slavery and prison or whatever, and, and uh, his father thinks he's dead and, and all this stuff, and then he comes back larger than life. So do join us again uh, on March 11th and subsequent weeks where we'll be talking about that. Would you join me in a closing prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is so awesome to think that you shared your process with us in the pages of your word 
It's so amazing to think that these were actual stories with actual people that actually happened. And yet the way that it's written down also contains all these unbelievable secrets. That's why the book is titled Secrets of Heaven, because it has all these secrets that the angels are in about what happened in you and what you guide us through, what the process is for becoming a better person. We just see a sketch, just an outline, Lord, of the next steps for us. And we love the fact that there's an order and that you know that order. And when you show up, you set all the children in the right sequence. We thank you, Lord God. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on working on that repentance, friends, so we can go through these stages. Get to Joseph and Benjamin. It's going to be good.